good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome everybody to episode number 10 of Push Dose EMS. Uh, it's just a little poke. This is also our first episode of 2021. As usual, my name is Jeff Matcha, uh, your host for the day and the Education QA Manager for Milwaukee County EMS. Uh, joining me is a good list of the usual suspects. Uh, EMS Division Director Dan Pojar, welcome Dan. Uh, System Medical Director, uh, Dr. Ben Weston. Dr. Weston, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. And Assistant Medical Director for Education, Dr. Matt Chin. Dr. Chin, welcome. Hey, Jeff. And welcome to all of those that are listening to the recording. Uh, we have a good number of people listening live today's recording as well. Uh, so welcome. Hope we have a good podcast for you this time. Jumping into 2021, uh, the topic hasn't really changed. It's been the what everyone's been talking about. It's COVID. Uh, and this time, hopefully, some progress in the right direction. Uh, focus of today's podcast is going to be around the vaccine, uh, how the vaccines are working, uh, some of the concerns, the myths, uh, the legends revolving around the vaccine. So we will get into that momentarily. Uh, but I'm going to turn it over to Dan to start with if there's any system updates. Thanks, Jeff. I'll keep it super brief today with the system updates, especially related to the COVID stuff. Um, as you should all know, our EMS testing site is still open. Um, so if anyone is uh, has an exposure or symptomatic, please come visit us and we are happy to get your uh, swab completed. Also, we've expanded that out to family members as we've had kind of a low volume going through the testing site as of late. So if you or your immediate family is uh, is not feeling great or uh, suspicious of a, maybe a, a really close exposure, um, go ahead and come on by. Uh, the wait times are less than five minutes. We get you in and out really quick so you don't have to wait in line at uh, any of the community testing sites. Uh, also at the same facility uh, is our vaccine campaign. So um, we have administered almost uh, 200 and 60 shots as of this afternoon. We're still sticking needles in arms as we speak here. Um, specific to that facility, we're giving out the Moderna vaccine. Um, and I think it's really important to note uh, if there's other vaccine available in the system, such as Pfizer, make sure that if you get the Moderna, you stick with the Moderna for your second dose so you can't mix them. I think that's something that the docs will also uh, reinforce when they're doing their speaking. Um, and then the second thing that I wanted to point out was really make sure that you're um, second vaccine dose is scheduled as close to that uh, prescribed window as possible. So it's different for each one. Um, but if you guys are uh, still interested in coming to get the vaccine, we're still gonna be open uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So go ahead and sign up uh, through that form that was sent out to uh, all the EMS liaisons. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Uh, and on the updates section, uh, we'll go over to Dr. Weston for any medical direction updates. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Happy New Year, everyone. So uh, just starting off one item as we get into the new year, we start thinking about uh, guideline and policy updates. In fact, uh, Linda and her guideline and policy subcommittee have been thinking about that for the last several months uh, as well. So I started looking at some of their preliminary documents and some really good stuff, uh, really great improvements to the system coming down the pipeline. So keep an eye out for those uh, and more to come on that front. We're also working with the West Dallas Fire Department on implementing the pilot of the ET3 uh, program. So exciting uh, changes coming from that perspective, hoping to get that uh, up and running in the near future. Uh, and then of course, transitioning to uh, COVID, our trends in the community are uh, okay, certainly better than they were a month, month and a half ago. Uh, we are starting to see a little bit of an upcreep in, uh, in our percent positivity. 
Uh, and we do continue to see low rates of testing. Those two items taken together uh, are a risky combination. When we see higher percent positivity, we really want to see people getting out there, getting tested uh, to protect themselves, protect their community, uh, and then really inform resource allocation as well. And so just to echo uh, Dan's point, uh, we do have our EMS outbreak testing center. That's for EMS uh, providers uh, as well as family members. So please take advantage of that. Certainly if you have symptoms of COVID-19. Remember symptoms of COVID-19 can be as mild as cold-like symptoms. Uh, you can still transmit it uh, just with those sort of symptoms. So uh, anybody with symptoms, anybody who's had close contact with someone who tested positive, and then certainly if you've been referred uh, by a public health or, or healthcare provider. Uh, also on the COVID front, uh, vaccinations. Our core team, uh, led by Dan, uh, led by Jared, led by Kurt, have been doing outstanding work uh, at that vaccination center, vaccinating hundreds of EMS providers uh, within Milwaukee County. So really strong work going on there. Um, and, uh, and I want to talk for just a minute about uh, the vaccine and specifically about vaccine hesitancy. So we're offering up to everybody, every EMS provider. Uh, obviously, it's a personal decision whether you want to get vaccinated. Uh, but there is vaccine hesitancy out there. That is, uh, you know, caution or apprehensiveness about getting the vaccine, nervousness about it being a newer vaccine and what sort of effects it may have. Uh, I'll tell you, due to my work in the emergency department, uh, I did receive the first dose back on December 18th. Uh, I received the last dose just last Friday, uh, or the second dose last Friday. Uh, I felt great over the weekend, a little bit of a sore arm, uh, but able to do everything that, uh, that I normally did. So feel very lucky to uh, have gotten both doses. And when I uh, personally was thinking about getting the vaccine, uh, much like somebody does with any decision, uh, I considered the pros and cons, the risks and benefits. So I want to talk about how I considered those uh, just briefly here. So the benefit uh, of the vaccine certainly is immunity, uh, that long-term protection you get from the COVID virus. Uh, and certainly there is a benefit, I suppose, to getting infected, and that's also that immunity. Uh, although that immunity from uh, natural infection is far more variable. Some people seem to have it for a short period, some for a longer period, sometimes it's strong immunity, sometimes it's weak immunity, uh, very hard to predict. Whereas with the vaccine, it seems to be pretty reliable uh, longer-term immunity. So in addition to the benefits though, obviously we need to consider the risks. Uh, so when it comes to the vaccine, uh, the risks are fairly clear. There's been tens of thousands of people who were vaccinated through these phase one, these phase two and phase three trials, the normal trial that any medication, any drug in the United States goes through. Uh, and these tens of thousands of people were carefully monitored uh, and all their responses were carefully recorded. So certainly the most common effect, uh, side effect was a sore arm. Uh, it's usually a mildly sore arm. I had it over the weekend. You can still do everything that you normally did. I was able to exercise and, and you know do everything around the house, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but just like a tetanus shot or something like that, a little bit of a sore arm for about a day. Less common uh, are things flu type symptoms. So headache, uh, some muscle aches, some fatigue. Uh, much more uh, uncommon would be a fever or, or vomiting, um, things like that. But, but what I can tell you is these tens of thousands of people who are vaccinated, uh, not one person, not one single uh, one of them died from receiving the vaccine. Uh, and then, of course, we have to consider the risks of the virus, of being infected. So certainly getting sick, uh, that's one of them. And if you're young and you're healthy, it's probably fairly mild illness. That tends to be the typical sort of course. 
Uh, about four or 5% of people who get COVID end up being hospitalized and 1%, one in a hundred uh, die from COVID. So these are the short-term effects and they're absolutely important to consider, uh, but often forgotten are the long-term effects. So there certainly are more mild long-term effects to consider things like fatigue, uh, chest pain, loss of taste and smell, cough, headaches. Uh, and in fact, the studies show that uh, one, to th one in three people with COVID two or three weeks out from infection still have persistent symptoms. And even if you look at the healthiest group, these 18 to 34-year-olds, otherwise healthy, no medical problems, 20% uh, of them, one in five of them have persistent symptoms uh, long-term, weeks or months out from their infection. And those are just the, the mild symptoms. There's also the serious long-term effects that we've seen with COVID. And, and to be frank, that we're still learning about. Uh, we see blood clots, we see strokes, uh, we see long-term career affecting damage to the heart and to the kidneys uh, and more that we're discovering every day. So uh, there are some unknowns perhaps with the COVID-19 uh, vaccine, but there's many, many unknowns with uh, this novel coronavirus with COVID-19, the virus. Uh, and, and honestly, this is part of the true unknowns. The vaccine is new, but it's been carefully designed. It's been tested. Uh, and we know what it does in our body. We know it creates antibodies. Uh, it degrades and it becomes inactive. It doesn't affect our DNA. Uh, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not passed on to our children. It does not affect fertility. Uh, it does not, I, I hate to even say it, but there's a large percent of population that, that thinks that it does not contain a microchip or, or anything like that. Uh, it goes into our body, it creates antibodies, uh, and then it degrades and it becomes inactive. Uh, with the COVID virus, when you're infected, this is a new virus. We frankly don't know long-term effects. There are viruses that, that linger in your body uh, that can linger in your nerves and have effects decades later. Uh, and we don't know that with the COVID virus. So anyhow, circling back, uh, when I considered those pros and cons, uh, those risks and benefits, uh, you know, the choice uh, was obvious. And, and I think among many of my colleagues in the emergency department, many of my colleagues in, in critical care and on the front lines of medicine, and certainly from looking at our vaccination site, many, many, many of your colleagues uh, in EMS made the same choice. Uh, they, they jumped at it. They wanted to receive it. And so uh, if you have hesitancy, it's a personal decision. Uh, it's something to consider, but I would, I would suggest uh, and encourage to strongly consider uh, those pros and cons, those risks and benefits, uh, and make the choice that you think is best for you, uh, but then also best for your family, best for your community. Um, so I'll stop there. Thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate it. Everybody take care. Thank you very much, Dr. Weston. Uh, definitely some things to think about there uh, as we move forward with these vaccination campaigns uh, and as we go forward with the discussion today. With that being said, really, I'm going to turn the rest of the show over to Dr. Chin, uh, who will hopefully be able to provide us with some more information, uh, dig a little deeper on how these vaccines are uh, produced, how they work in the body, what our body does with them, and some information as we go forward. I know we've got both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccination out there. Uh, presumably, the AstraZeneca one will be coming along the lines as well. Uh, in the future. So uh, with that, Dr. Chin, I'll give you the floor. 
Yeah, thanks, Jeff. And uh, I'll echo kind of uh, Dr. Weston's sentiments. Uh, so hopefully this next uh, portion here will really try to provide some of the foundational information uh, on the COVID vaccines for uh, each person to make that individual choice, but uh, hopefully uh, provide you enough information that you can make the intelligent choice here and kind of understand um, the pathophysiology of how these vaccinations work. And then um, in a little bit more depth, we'll kind of talk about some of those uh, myths or other things that are out there regarding the vaccine to hopefully answer any other lingering questions and, and give some references to the data that goes with that. Um, so with that being said, um, we'll just start kind of with the COVID vaccine in general. Um, so if there's uh, several websites that track kind of vaccine development of note, there's uh, currently around the world around nine approved vaccines. As everyone knows, in the United States, there's two, uh, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. Uh, both China, Russia, and India also have uh, vaccinations that are available in their countries that have been approved by their health boards. Um, but here, uh, really, we just have Pfizer and Moderna. And again, as uh, Jeff mentioned, AstraZeneca probably uh, shortly to follow. Um, we'll touch base mostly on the two vaccines that are here and how they're mRNA-based vaccines and just touch a little bit on, on what that means. Um, so mRNA or messenger RNA uh, is a type of RNA that's really found in the cells. Uh, particularly, uh, this type of RNA is usually uh, made in the nucleus and then extruded into the cytoplasm where it instructs the cell to produce proteins. So in this case, we're actually taking that same uh, mechanism, that, that messenger RNA, we're actually introducing it into the body uh, and using it to produce a protein. In this case, what's called a spike protein um, that is a surface protein of the coronavirus or the COVID-19 virus. So uh, what basically we do is we synthesize that portion of messenger RNA, we introduce it into the body, and then we allow the body itself to produce this protein for which we wanna build an immune response to. Um, so that how that works is that vaccine is uh, uh, injected usually into the upper arm. Once inside, it basically targets the immune cells at the nodes, the lymph nodes that are in close proximity to your kind of deltoid muscle, which is usually where this is injected. Once it uh, is uh, translocated there, it basically makes the cells produce, as Dr. Wesson mentioned, this spike protein that's on the surface of COVID. And when the body recognizes that spike protein, it recognizes it as a foreign body and it produces an antibody response and essentially primes the system to respond if you were to see that actual uh, virus come into your uh, system. So that's how the immune response works for these. And both uh, of the two vaccines that are approved use this same mRNA technology um, to produce the antibodies that build the immune response uh, for COVID-19. Um, as he said, after it uh, is done building that protein, uh, the remainder of the mRNA is kind of discarded uh, and doesn't remain. And as was previously mentioned, it never enters the nucleus uh, or has any effect on your DNA or any of that type of stuff. So it really just is there to produce this protein for the body to build the immune response to. Um, researchers have really been working with this type of technology for decades, probably 20 or 30 years. Uh, they've been studying it for other viruses as well to include like influenza, the Zika virus, rabies, CMV, and a bunch of other things um, for which we've been kind of studying this technology. And in this uh, case, we were able to employ this technology to kind of fight this new pandemic. Um, this, uh, the uh, vaccine for both of these uses of that technology, which is a bit in contrast to kind of the AstraZeneca, we'll touch base just very briefly on that because again, it's not approved at this time, but it uses a similar um, kind of uh, pathological response in the body and that it produces this spike protein, but it uses a different type of vector. So instead of using messenger RNA, it uses an adenovirus 
Um, so a different virus that normally affects uh, simians or chimpanzees, they use that as a vector to basically transfer the same uh, genetic information for it to transfer it to build that protein and again, build an immune response to that. So both of them work in a similar fashion, just a slightly different way um, with which they convey the information on how to build that protein to your body to respond. So that's generally how these uh, kind of vaccinations work. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on kind of uh, the myths associated with this. So you can't actually um, get sick with COVID from getting one of these vaccines. None of them actually uh, contain any live virus, as we said. They just contain uh, some information to build a protein on the surface of the virus, but they do not contain any sort of live virus or even an activated virus um, that could give you any sort of actual infection with COVID-19. Um, there's been a lot of questions also on the uh, the time frame with which these vaccinations were developed. So um, they certainly were developed on an ex expedited uh, time frame. But what we know is that the approval process and the safety process behind the development of these vaccines is very similar to every other vaccination or medication that's approved by the FDA. Um, one of the reasons we were able to kind of um, speed this up is again this technology while in an, in a, an actual vaccination uh, hasn't been used before is actually not new technology though. So we had said previously that for the past several decades, uh, we've been using this type of technology to research it. So the, the uh, kind of uh, way that we build these vaccinations was already um, in development for you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years um, prior to this vaccine. So we've had some experience with working on this. Uh, we also have some experience with working on viruses that are similar to COVID-19. So MERS and SARS, both different types of coronaviruses um, out over the past decades or so where we've had experience working with those viruses as well that, that, that let us speed up the development of the vaccination um, for this COVID-19 vaccine. Um, so uh, hopefully that addresses kind of some of the expediency with which we were able to achieve with this vaccine. Additionally, there's been a ton of resources and funding behind uh, development of this um, uh, vaccine as well too. So all of those things factor into um, the, the amazing work that a lot of scientists have done to kind of get this vaccine uh, released and do it safely. Um, in particular, to address that kind of expediency, as, as Dr. Weston mentioned, there's been phase one, two, and three trials for these vaccinations, just to give you an idea of what that looks like. So for the Pfizer vaccine, there was actually 45 uh, sorry, 43,000 plus uh, patients involved in that phase three clinical trial with almost 20, 21,000 roughly in each treatment group um, to receive uh, either the placebo or the vaccine. So roughly 21,000 people actually received the vaccination in the phase three clinical trial. This, uh, this data is all available online. Uh, both of the Published trials have been uh, put out in the New England Journal of Medicine over the past couple weeks here, uh, both for the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. So anyone interested in looking at the primary literature can actually uh, pull up those articles and read it for themselves. Um, but to kind of summarize that data again, um, you know, after a two-dose regimen of the Pfizer vaccine, it conferred about a 95% protection against COVID-19. In this clinical trial, they were looking at people 16 years of age and older, and they're monitoring the safety uh, for a median of, uh, of a couple months. And then uh, they continue to monitor safety, uh, the safety profile of this vaccine over the next two years after the injection. Um, of those types of things that we saw in the vaccination, again, a 95% efficacy in preventing COVID-19 was kind of observed there. In terms of side effects that we saw, again, the safety is still being monitored for the next several years post-vaccination. But as was mentioned previously, pain is really the most uh, kind of 
uh, reported uh, side effect of the, the vaccination. About um, 70 to 60 to 70% of people report kind of uh, pain after the vaccination, some local injection site pain. In terms of kind of systemic symptoms, uh, fatigue and headache, uh, kind of more the most common of those types of things, anywhere from 30 to 50% of people had um, some symptomatology of that, usually again, pretty minor uh, and often resolved in 24 hours or so. Um, the severity of any severe like systemic uh, event was less than 1%. Uh, there's been some published cases of anaphylaxis associated with it, which is why there's a uh, recommended 15 minute monitoring period after the injection um, where you should kind of remain at the setting with which you were given for any sort of adverse events. But we expect this to be no different than any other vaccination um, uh, side effect profile from anything else that's already been released. Uh, in terms of fever, uh, certainly you can develop some fevers, a uh, little bit um, more common after the second dose uh, in people, um, but usually again resolves relatively quickly uh, in those patients as well. In terms of adverse events um, associated with this that were significant, really a kind of minimal amount of adverse events in the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, among the recipients who got the, the actual vaccine, there was a shoulder injury related to it, some lymphadenopathy um, and some right leg paresthesias, but nothing significant. Um, in terms of uh, kind of deaths associated with it, there are absolutely no deaths as were reported previously by Dr. Weston that were associated directly with the vaccination um, at this point. Uh, same thing with Moderna, again, a rather large uh, phase three clinical trial looking at 30,000 plus volunteers, again, randomized one-to-one -to, -one to vaccine or placebo. So again, about 15,000 people um, received the active vaccination and 15,000 placebo in the Moderna trial. Uh, an efficacy rate of similar, about 94.1% at preventing COVID-19 illness, including severe disease. Um, so again, between the two trials, you're looking at, you know, roughly 75,000 uh, people who were involved in these phase three clinical trials between these just these two vaccinations. All of those, again, uh, people that are involved in those trials continue to be monitored for safety uh, and efficacy for the next several years as well, too. Um, so that's kind of just to address, you know, the uh, any questions there have been about kind of whether there was any, uh, you know, uh, shortcuts to the, um, you know, availability of this vaccine. And the answer to that question is no. Again, these vaccines have gone through significant phase three trials with a large volume of people um, to kind of uh, test their efficacy and their safety profiles. Um, in terms of uh, some other things that people might have questions about, so testing. Um, so if you have a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, you know, uh, will you test positive? The answer to that is generally if you're getting a PCR NAT test where you actually need active disease, again, you shouldn't because there's no uh, actual virus uh, in the vaccination. It's just a really this uh, material that's going to make you transcribe this protein, basically. So you won't test positive from that standpoint. Again, to address again that DNA uh, question, again, uh, messenger RNA never enters the nucleus of the cell where the DNA is kept. So it will not in any way affect your DNA. Uh, it's really there just to uh, tell the cells to build this protein for us to build an immune response to. Um, some other questions that uh, Dr. Weston brought up were kind of uh, fertility or pregnancy. So um, it is true that in both of these trials, um, there was no specific, uh, you know, uh, addressing of uh, pregnant patients. However, there were uh, people who uh, did uh, end up getting pregnant uh, during the uh, trial. So in the Pfizer 
uh, trial, for instance, there were 23 patients who actually became pregnant. Uh, there were no uh, complications associated with pregnancy uh, in that group. Um, and there was only a single issue of a pregnancy loss, and that was actually in the placebo group. Um, so again, no sort of indicators that there's any issues related to pregnancy. Um, to kind of follow up on that, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, kind of leading national medical um, uh, group um, on uh, pregnancy, really re recommends that the COVID vaccine should not be withheld from pregnant individuals uh, who meet criteria for vaccination based on kind of established criteria. Uh, they also uh, state that it should be offered to lactating individuals uh, when they meet criteria um, based on, again, the prioritization of vaccination distributions. Uh, to that extent, the Society for uh, Maternal Fetal Medicine recommended the vaccine in pregnant healthcare workers as well. Uh, and the reason that they've done this is there's really no data to suggest um, that uh, the vaccination should cause any issues with uh, pregnancy. I know that there's a uh, social media post that uh, purports to relate the vaccination to infertility and specifically it talks about how it might uh, build immune response to a kind of a placental implantation protein. Uh, really, there's no actual science behind that. As you guys all know, mRNA or any sort of RNA is really built on a, a set of nucleotides uh, that's roughly four. Uh, and so there, were, there are some overlapping sequences, but nothing in any sort of consequential fashion. And again, you're not building an immune response to specific nucleotides, but to actually a protein that's being uh, assembled based on those uh, genetic instructions. Um, so there's uh, no evidence to suggest that it would have any effect on uh, pregnancy um, related to that, such to, again, the extent that uh, most of the um, uh, national organizations regarding pregnancy actually are, are recommending or certainly having patients discuss with their obstetricians with any questions, but uh, consideration of getting the vaccine, even if pregnant or considering to get pregnant. Um, Again, uh, what we do know regarding pregnancy is that uh, there's a higher risk for hospitalization and complications when you uh, actually have COVID-19, which is uh, kind of a known. So that's why oftentimes, again, uh, most of those organizations are recommending vaccinations in uh, um, pregnant patients or patients who are uh, thinking about becoming pregnant. So again, no, no sustained um, medical information to suggest it would uh, have any issue with fertility or pregnancy. Um, so those are kind of the, the most common things that I've heard um, in terms of uh, things we wanted to address on the podcast here, you know, as was mentioned previously as well, making sure you get the vaccination as close to the recommended date. So for Pfizer, that's 21 days. For Moderna, that's 28 days. Um, the CDC just came out with guidance a few days ago recommending getting it as close to that as possible, but usually trying to wait until at least 21 days for Pfizer and Moderna at 28, uh, although they do uh, give a grace period of about four days prior um, where you could receive the vaccination and be considered an acceptable. Um, so uh, with that, uh, we're certainly happy to take any questions, hopefully that answers some of the most common things that or, or questions that people had regarding the vaccine. Uh, and I'll certainly turn it back to Jeff uh, and I'll stay here along with the rest of the crew to see if there's any other thoughts from people here. Um, and otherwise I appreciate the time and the opportunity to talk to everyone. And again, from a purely personal standpoint, uh, you know, we certainly encourage you guys to do your research, guys and gals to do your research. Uh, and hopefully this provides some more information to make the intelligent decision. And again, um, to support uh, kind of uh, your, your families, yourselves, uh, and certainly the patients that you care for. Um, so again, with that, I appreciate the time. Uh, 
Thanks very much, Dr. Jin. Uh, don't wander too far from your mic. Um, for those that are still listening, if you have questions you want to throw up in the chat, feel free. Uh, I do have two that occurred to me as people were talking. Uh, the first, and I don't know if there's much information out there yet. Uh, I know the studies for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccinations uh, went down to 16 years old. Uh, is there any information floating out yet for pediatric dosing? There is not. Um, so there are some early clinical trials looking at pediatrics. There's also some question about, uh, I think, you know, uh, so these trials all really addressed um, kind of 16 for Pfizer. I believe it's actually 18 for Moderna in terms of the uh, patient ages that were included in this. So right now, those are the um, age groups that are available for vaccination um, based on the trials that we've seen here. Um, there are no um, approved uh, pediatric dosages for this, uh, as well as uh, uh, for either of these vaccinations. All right, thanks. And the other one was just a, uh, one of those uh, rumors that were floating around. Um, if I've received both my doses of vaccination, uh, can I still be a carrier of COVID and pass it along to others? So I think we would expect that to be less likely. Certainly the, the reason for the vaccination is to prevent infection. So um, if it's able to effectively do that, it would may certainly make it challenging uh, if, you're, uh, if you're less likely to be infected to actually pass active virus on to other people. So that would make sense. If your body's immune response is doing what it's supposed to right away, then you're not building up enough of a bacterial viral load to be infectious, I would suppose. Correct. All right. Uh, one question that I did get in the chat, um, any news about the Johnson vaccine coming out? Uh, that is not one that I'm familiar with. Yeah, I think Johnson and Johnson does have a vaccine in uh, clinical trials. I am not aware of where it is. I think AstraZeneca is next in line, but I believe Johnson and Johnson may be kind of shortly to follow there. Um, but I don't know for sure. Um, I think that was the vaccination, if memory serves, that uh, like UW Madison may have been uh, trialing. Terrific. Well, I don't see any other questions popping up in the chat. Uh, so thank you, Dr. Chin, uh, Dan, and Dr. Weston, for and everyone who joined us live today. Uh, if after listening to this, you do still have questions uh, that you'd like addressed by our medical direction team or anybody in the office, please feel free to email us at emseducation at milwaukeecountywi.gov, and we will pass that along uh, and get whatever answers we can to you. So uh, thank you to everybody, and we will see you next time.